Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On 9-11, our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another brand new episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It's Kelsey and DJ with you for another brand new episode. And before we get started, first of all, we want to send a huge congratulations to Carl Nassib uh, coming out as the first active NFL player. Uh, to be gay and come out uh, and and before anybody gets saying Michael Sam uh, it's worth mentioning that he is the first drafted player um, to come out but he was never actually on a team Um, but shout out to Carl Nassif hopefully this paves the way for a lot more players to feel comfortable to make this announcement if they are in fact gay so DJ obviously there's been a lot that happened in sports Carl Nassif leads the the headlines and uh, how do you feel everything happening so far this last couple weeks we had the changing of NBA playoffs into where we're now in the conference finals. Everything's gone, gone a little crazy and haywire. Definitely getting moving. And it's definitely cool to see for NASA that a sponsor of the podcast on Fanatics, too. When you look at Fanatics, he is actually the leading jersey seller since he made that announcement as well, too, in that few-day span. So that's very interesting to see as well, too. It seems like it's been very well-received as amongst the sports fans as well, which is what we like to see. Absolutely. So uh, to get us started off with the tip-off, speaking of Fanatics, that is the sponsor of our tip-off segment. If you guys haven't checked out Fanatics.com, Fanatics is your one-stop shop for all your sports apparel and merchandise needs. For every sport, no matter the team, no matter the, the sport, they have the gear for you. And be sure to go check that out. And and you know what? If you're Maybe you don't have a team, but now you're supporting Carl Nassib. Maybe go pick up a Carl Nassib jer- uh, Raiders jersey. Um, he did just sign that that brand-new deal that, that sticks him in, in Las Vegas for a couple more years. So you're not going to be seeing that jersey change too much. Um for that, that remainder of time. So be sure to go check that out. The link is in our link tree. Uh, just click on that and then click on the Fanatics link. Link is in our bio uh, to our link tree on Twitter and Instagram. So be sure to go check that out. And to get us started in the tip-off, the draft lottery just happened. And surprise, surprise, the Detroit Pistons get the number one overall pick. Are you surprised at all Detroit ends up with that number one? A little bit because they're not exactly known as a lucky franchise historically. It's not like the ball, quote-unquote, always bounces their way. I mean, last time they were up that high, I mean, 
Darko Milicic when they were in the top two or three. Like that's the last time I get it. Go, they were getting that lucky. So good for Detroit. Hopefully the whoever they get, Kate Cunningham, actually makes it work out and is able to turn the team around a little bit because they're in dire need of it. It's been rough going for the Motor City the last handful of years. Yeah, you mentioned Kate Cunningham. That's it's pretty much seems like the consensus number one overall pick uh, as of right now. Um, very few people have him ranked to be falling below the number one pick. Um, and if they do, it's only because somebody needed a forward instead. And, and well, when it comes down to Detroit, well, they just kind of need everything. They need um, basketball players. <laughs> exactly. And, and you mentioned, you know, Kate Cunningham, one of the, one of the, I was reading today, a couple uh, comparisons for Kate Cunningham and, you know, ironic considering Detroit's on the clock, but one of the great players to go through Detroit guy by the name of Grant Hills, who Cade Cunningham is being compared to as that dual forward role, able to do it all, put a lot of responsibility on him. He's not going to be your number one scorer every day and every night in, but he can be the guy that gives you the most consistent production game in and game out. So uh, that's, a, that's a very consider, uh, interesting c- comparison. What do you think about that, Grant Hill and Cade, Cade Cunningham? Not a bad one. I think at the next level, too, is going to be more of just a pure buckets guy necessarily. Like, not saying that he can't do the other things, but I feel like he's going to be more of a 25 points a game type of guy as opposed to the 27 and 7. So, we'll see. It's not a bad comparison as well, too. I think he'll just be – I see him more as just a guy that's like, okay, you go get buckets and get them in, in abundance. Similar to – not saying he's going to be Carmelo Anthony, but similar to how Carmelo was just pure buckets when he came out. I can see it being in a similar type of thing where he just goes out there and like, all right, Cade, go get him. Especially with Detroit, it's not like – who are you going to pass to at this point? I mean, like, my goodness, it, I guess Jeremy Grant, maybe, but like, you're, you're pretty, so you're pretty much alone there. Yeah, no, it really is. It's the Jeremy Grant show right now in Detroit. And then whoever they get the number one overall pick, uh, assumably Cade Cunningham, um, it'll be the Jeremy Grant and Cade Cunningham show. Um, one will be Batman. One will be Robin, or hopefully they can both, one gets to be Batman. One gets to be Superman. Who knows? Um, we'll figure out a way to make it work. I'm sure. Even though there's still a long ways to go from anyone having to worry about them, but that would be a pretty fun dynamic as well too. Two versatile forward type guys. Exactly. So there's a lot that, that can be broken down there in Detroit and what they can do, but I feel like it's just one of those things. It's safe to say that they will be the number one pick, but going down the rest of the list, surprise, surprise, the Cavaliers uh, sitting at number three, right behind the number two overall pick, by the way, uh, ending up the Rockets, the Rockets with number two pick it, surprise. The Rockets are in the top three. Or is that kind of where you expected them to be? I kind of feel bad for them not getting the number one pick considering how bad they were this last season. And they were one of the, t- I think they were tied with the Pistons as favorites to get it. So kind of feel for them in that regard because they, they needed it. Losing James Harden, the trade for John Wall. He's, unfortunately at this point, John Wall, you can't trust his injury history. You had DeMarcus Cousins, then you didn't have DeMarcus Cousins. They they were just miserable all season. They needed a spark and hopefully maybe if they get green or something like that, I guess, maybe Jalen Suggs. I, I Hopefully one of those guys can kind of reignite a little something in Houston because it's not looking good right now. And last season was tough to watch for everybody. Like I just, every time you tune them out, it's like, well, they're going to lose by 40 or 50. At one point they were like a, I think the, I can't remember who they were playing. It might've been the trailblazers. I just remember seeing it on the betting app thing. They were plus, they were like plus 1400 underdogs. Like that they had absolutely no faith in a casual regular season game that they could pull it out. So they really need to get something like we talked about the Pistons need basketball players. Rockets need Jesus, honestly. I don't know what they just. There's not a whole lot that has worked there from based off last season. Yeah, they need a complete overhaul. It feels like in in Houston. Um, as I mentioned, the Cavs at, at, at number three. It's this is kind of crazy. I feel like every time the Cavs have a lottery pick, it's a top five pick every single time. Is that am I wrong to feel that way, or is that no, it's pretty always a top three pick? And usually it's number one. I was honestly kind of surprised once they we found out they're on the top there. I was like, well, Cleveland's getting number one. We'll see. Like, I was honestly surprised when they ended up at number three. That. Do you think whatever Cleveland can get at number three can can help propel them into a playoff team? Because let's not forget they were the number one team in the East at one point in time this season. Do you think that was that was really really early in the season too? Let's not forget that. Like that was really really early. So it's possible. I mean, I like the backcourt with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland if they could keep that together. Jared Allen's a really nice center. So who knows? Maybe like a Mo- maybe Evan Mobley as a power forward to go along with him, and that's not a bad fit as well too. And a guy that could substitute in. They got options, I think, too, as well. They could always trade out of it if they want to as well. And they got Kevin Love, a possible trade piece. We'll see, especially maybe that he can get healthy. I mean, they got options as well, too. They got a ways to go, but I feel like they got a better jump start than the other two teams in the top three. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, definitely. Definitely. I think the Cavs have, have a little bit more potential to not be in a lotto. Um, the next, next, well, maybe they'll be at the bottom of the lottery picks. Uh, but I, I, I feel like they're the best chance to not be a top 10 pick next year out of the ones that are already in the top 10. Um, this season 
And moving on, Raptors at number four. They were the real big shakeup, it feels like, them getting in the four seed. They were they were projected to be a I think about a seven seed, I believe, going into the into the draft lottery. And they end up with the four seed. So uh, hopefully something in Toronto can happen as it's been a rough go in, in, in the six, it feels like this last season. Uh, it's kind not- of weird how they go from finals champion to pretty mediocre to now fourth pick in the draft. And we'll see what they can do building around like Fred Van Fleet. The Pascal Siakam experiment hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been good. Like they, they ex- I'm pretty sure they expected a little bit more from him, but we'll see what they can do moving forward. They, they have some pieces. They are just two years removed, two, three years removed from a finals. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. So we'll see what they can do to build forward as well. They they could use a few pieces as well too. I think they could really use a, another center to go with Pascal Siakam, as well as a guard to go with Fred Van Fleet. So they can they can make something work with that, I'm sure, as well. And another team, maybe they trade it to somebody else and they get a couple of nice players that are looking to move as well too that wouldn't mind going to the six. Yeah, no, let's not forget the, the six, the international city, if you will, uh, especially NBA-wise as, as far as that goes. Um, definitely if you get any international players they seem to love Toronto a little bit more than some other places on the map um, so that is that is that could be an interesting play for for some of these uh, international free agents or something like that uh, but number five the magic the perennial I'm gonna draft a forward uh, magic they have plenty of forwards to choose from do you think they go there or, or you know are they gonna try to find somebody to go in the backcourt with Cole Anthony do you think and and all the exploits he has offensively do you think they can get him a another stable mate in the backcourt. I would like to see Jalen Suggs, maybe if he slips a little bit and they grab him, I think that's a really good fit for him. A guy that can kind of run the show as well as get you buckets and do a little bit of everything you need, gives you a true point guard to build around. And it's not the traditional pick a damn four that they do every single year. <laughs> him or even Davian Mitchell from Baylor as well too, who no worst case scenario is he's going to just lock down somebody else as well for you too. So I think those are two guys I'd really like to see go to the magic because they could use, they need somebody who can kind of specialize in something. And I think those two guys can offer them something like not a guarantee, but definitely like something strong to build their team around moving forward. Cause they haven't really had that with all the other previous picks they've had. Yeah, no, it's a bunch of, it seems like a bunch of forwards and they all seem to be injured as well as, as we actually got to see a lot of them come back this season. We saw, uh, you know, Mo Bamba return, have a pretty good season. Isaac Anthony have a good season. As I mentioned, Cole Anthony having a fantastic season. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Chumo Kiki as well, coming back, having a good stretch down the, down the last 10 games. So a lot of guys performing for the magic, just not ever at the same time enough to get them enough wins. Um, so that's, that's part of that as well. Uh, number six, the thunder with number one of 18 first round picks to come in the next five years. Um, they get number the number six overall pick this, 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 in this draft. Is there anything the thunder can do in this draft to, make them a potential non-lottery team? Uh, probably not. I still think they kind of got some, they got some refinagling to do it. I think they know that as well too. We just saw the trade. They ended up with Kemba Walker, which I think they're just going to moving him as well too, to probably get more picks. Cause that's the thunder thing too. Hmm. They're clearly in this for the long game. I think this draft is like, let's just take a good player. We don't have to have a great player. It doesn't have to change our franchise. It just, just a good player. Somebody that can, you can plug in there and he will find a role and he will be able to, whether it's a three and D guy, a rebounder and defender, a point guard for assists, like whatever you want. It's like I mentioned Davion Mitchell for the Magic. Maybe he slips there. That's a great thing to go with Shea, Gilchrist, Alexander as well too. Those two as a backcourt could both defend and if Mitchell can develop an offensive game. I think he could have a little bit of a Kawhi Leonard feel to him if he goes to the right team that could help him develop his offensive game slowly because that defense is going to be there for a long time. So I, he's another guy like there. Okay, see, they can, they can do whatever they want at this point. You got so many picks. You can just kind of take a flyer and if it fails, it's like, well, we got five picks next year and they can say that for like the next half decade. So they're, they're good. Honestly, at this point, it's like, you can honestly just take a flyer if you'd like. Yeah. This one feels like just taking the best available on the board. And that seems just to be the best option uh, for the thunder. Not, not overthink this too much. If that makes sense. You really can't overthink it at this point too. I feel like even if it's absolutely terrible, that just means your picks next year will be better, I guess too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, moving on to number seven, the first of two picks in the first in the lottery, uh, the warriors at number seven, Uh, a lot, a lot of things happening for the Warriors this next season. A lot of rumors about potentially adding in players. Um, we recently talked to uh, somebody that said that the potential is Ben Simmons ending up on the Warriors. They, they see that as a potential landing ground for them. Um, very interesting to think, considering they have two lottery picks here. Do they keep both of these lottery picks is my question to you. I can't see it. I feel like they have to trade them because there's not any player they're going. We saw it last year. They had pick number two with Wiseman. 
he didn't really help a whole lot to say. I know with injuries and stuff like that, the COVID years is an absolute mess. So it's a grain of salt, but you have Steph Curry in his absolute prime. Clay Thompson coming back from a couple of injuries. Draymond Green on the still technically in his prime as well, too. Like you have a chance to make another run at this to kind of round out this Golden State era. I think you got to package those picks and go all in, maybe trade one of them and get a Kevin Love type player, a guy that they were rumored to try and trade for when he was in Minnesota, but they didn't want to give up Clay Thompson, which Smart move, hindsight 2020, obviously. Really good, really smart move on their part. Maybe you trade pick 14 and go get Kevin Love or something like that. A guy you can, just a guy to add a little more offense is not Steph Curry going absolutely ballistic or bust. Maybe you trade both of them and you go get somebody, CJ McCollum, maybe if he's out there. Maybe not both for CJ McCollum, but a pick for CJ McCollum. There's just some of the guys out there that might be on the move. I don't know if Ben Simmons is the move. It's interesting to think about just because how much they could just swing the ball around and get so many open shots with, all that passing they'd have almost to a fault. They'd lead the league in assists for as a team, but probably lead in turnovers as well. But I feel like they, I just don't feel like any of those picks are really going to help you win with Steph Curry right now at this point in his career. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Moving on to number eight, the magic with a second of their two first round picks. This one coming by way of Chicago because the pick was not in the top four. It still sticks with Orlando. If it had been a top four, it was a top four protected pick. Um, it would have been a Bulls pick here. So number eight with the Magic, uh, you know, kind of same question. What you, you you number one, you ideally go with a guard. Number two, do you go with another guard, or do you just best available here at number eight? Just get either the best available player or the guy who's like the best at something in the draft if he's there. Like you have like the best rebounder, the best shot blocker, like the best switch defense guy, something like that. Like whatever you can get along those lines, somebody who could fill a direct niche right away to complement whoever will hopefully be your. Uh, star type player you get with the earlier one if that makes sense like your Serge Ibaka type to go with your James Harden Katie or whoever those guys are you get earlier if you're if that's you get your way absolutely and then the Kings with magic number nine um for them to just I don't know what they're gonna do here uh they got plenty of guards that are accurate that are pretty good uh forwards seem decent just couldn't get on the same page enough to be a playoff team uh, they made a late run at the at it at the end of the season Luke Walton will be returning so what do the Kings have to do at nine to turn themselves into a potential playoff team? Or if they continue the playoff series next year, a playoff series, like the, the play-in series game. I think they either need a center or they need to maybe move on from Marvin Bagley, which seems blasphemous. because He's not playing bad. It just seems to be a really weird fit. And I feel like they could just use a true center to go along with De'Aaron Fox and those guys as well, too. So maybe if there is a true center in this draft, you really like, you take a flyer on him. Maybe you package the pick and Marvin Bagley for, I don't know, Carl Anthony Towns, if he's on the market or something like that, something along those lines. I just think those are the two. That's kind of what they need is a big man that they could depend on. Marvin Bagley is kind of that smaller centers, normal size four that could, like what we see with John Collins and Clint Capella, that'd be good for Marvin Bagley. Question is, do you get that if you're the Kings or do you just get him out of there and go like three out and one center pick and rolls with De'Aaron Fox? This depends on what Luke Walton's vision for that team necessarily ends up being. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's the problem, I think, is, is it's Luke Walton's vision, and I don't know how much vision he has. Um, that is a, that is a whole other question as well, too. Yeah. So depending <laughs> so, on what – if we knew more about that, then maybe we could give you a more clear answer. Exactly. So number 10, the Pelicans, uh, Zion Williamson's team. What do the Pelicans need? I, I, that's the big question. I mean, obviously, they, they, there's a lot that you could talk about they could they could need, but you have a lot of really good pieces there. And if it wasn't for untimely injuries, I think the Pelicans are a playoff team this year uh yeah who knows honestly they could use a lot as well like Lonzo's a nice point guard you don't really have a two guard necessarily maybe something like a three and d two guard Brandon Ingram and Zahn are your all-stars Steven Adams the center like I think you kind of have the young piece you just need to develop and find the right coach for him I wouldn't mind a three and d two guard that could maybe create a little bit of his own shot but a guy that's not afraid to stick his nose anywhere a Davion Mitchell type he's not going to be here but maybe a different version of him that could just you just send them out there like, all right, you and Lonzo are going to make any backcourt. It's going to be miserable for them with their length and their ability to play defense. And then just a guy who can bang corner threes when Brandon Ingram and Zion are doing their doing their thing, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that would be interesting to watch with the Pelicans. Um, for the rounding out the rest of the lottery, Hornets at 11. Obviously, LaMelo coming out the rookie of the year. So that would be interesting to see what Jordan and company can do with the Hornets pick at 11. The Spurs, of all teams, number 12 with the uh, 12th overall pick in the lottery. The Pacers with 13 overall, and the Warriors' second pick coming at 14. So it'll be very interesting to watch there. Those uh, all the, all those picks, but usually 11 through 14, that's where you get your your guys that are like your Patrick Petersons in the draft. So nobody, uh, nobody great, nobody 
that's going to probably be a Hall of Famer, but they're going to give you seven to ten good years of their career. Uh, here's a question for you, though, before we move on. Who is – is there anybody you see sneaking into the draft lottery that's not currently a draft lottery pick? Like, who's your sneaky pick to potentially make it make some waves in the in the draft lottery or just being drafted in general? Are you talking about his player or a team? A player. Player – that one's tough. I don't think there's going to be any, I don't think there's going to be too many surprises just with the way the draft and everything's running this year. I think it's going to mostly stay status quo. I don't think there's going to be a lot of board shakeups. I don't think there'll be too much. I just don't think it's going to be too dramatic. I think it's going to be relatively similar, kind of like when we saw the NFL draft right in the middle of the pandemic. Everything kind of went exactly how you expected it to, not this last one, but the first one. I think with the NBA season still kind of bouncing back and it's all condensed, I think it's going to be the same way. We're going to see Kay Cunningham go one. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, those guys, Davion Mitchell, all those guys are going to go relatively early. France Wagner, Evan Mobley. Maybe Mobley gets picked a little bit higher and that pushes down Jalen Green, who's coming from the G League. He might slide a little bit maybe because he doesn't technically have that college basketball on his resume. I can see him maybe sliding a little bit, but at this point, college basketball scouts are like, all right, we, we know you could play. We see you ball. We know what we're getting here. So I don't think we'll see too many surprises, honestly. Yeah, and that, that opens, does open up a good point. We'll actually get to see for the first time how the G League Ignite team paid off for some of these young rookies compared to the college route. Uh, obviously, we have LaMelo, who went the overseas route, winning Rookie of the Year. Now, will the G League route turn out better than the uh, college route? That'll be something we watch next year as well. And we'll I'm sure we'll discuss that ad nauseum next year at some point in time. Um, I hope it works out. It's so that way, just if you want to go to college, you can. If you don't, you don't. It, it works either way. It gives you a chance either way. Maybe... With those other alternatives, they change the college rules, or if you go, you got to stay for two to three years. So we see less one and dones, maybe. But if you're not a guy that needs to, that way, those who don't want to stay for two to three years or four don't have to go. Like, I like the idea of options as well. And I think it adds a little more to college basketball just because you have those guys that stay longer. And I think that's when you get better March Madness, better tournaments, that sort of thing as well. Yeah, there's more to play for from some of these uh, four year seniors and three year, three year juniors, three year seniors, and four year, five year guys. Uh, or, or if you're Pat Bohannon for Iowa, your seven-year super senior if, at this point in time. I don't know what he's going to be this next season, but uh, evidently coming back for another season. Um, and it, so. gives them, it gives some of those guys that come out of high school and stuff the chance to add up onto their game, too, that some of the guys that are maybe a little more raw, it gives them a chance to build onto it, maybe make themselves a lottery-type pick as well, too. Instead of trying to one and done it and kind of put him in a position to flail out, those picks coming out of college I think will be better off then. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Uh, now, obviously, there's been some coaching news as well, uh, namely with those Boston Celtics. Ime Udoka is being presumably named the pick for the Boston Celtics head coaching staff. Obviously, he's been an assistant his since he, he left the league, um, former Nigerian national team player as well. And big, I, I feel like this is big, big, a big deal. Obviously, a guy part of Steve Nash Nets crew who just – obviously bounced from the playoffs by the Bucks, but Steve Nash's first run at things, Ime Udoka was a big reason why Steve Nash was able to keep things together is from the knowledge that Ime Udoka brought to the, the table um, from his years as, as an assistant, helping out Steve Nash on the coaching staff. Uh, do you think Udoka will have a, have a, have a, have a good career in Boston? Or do you think maybe Boston was a step too high for his first job? I mean, he gets to just have he gets to walk into a team with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So I mean, that's a really good start. If you're in two, it's like, all right, I don't have to start from absolutely nothing. I got two all stars. And Brad Stevens now in the front office too, on top of it. Yep. So I I think if you're him, you're like, okay, I can make this work, and it's a it's a position that gives you a chance to succeed right away. You're not basically being set up to fail and having to survive and having to save yourself. He's being put in a position to succeed, and unless Brad Stevens is pulling a fast one where he just gets to pick all the players and then he's going to take over coaching again, mm-hmm. I think this is, could be a really good. Setup, I could see the Celtics being able to bounce it, keep everything back on track. Because I feel like, I think Brad Stevens kind of knew his coaching days were coming to an end. And I think that might have affected the season a little bit. So I think getting fresh blood in there, a guy who you talk about, quote unquote, managing egos, dealing with superstars and stuff. Has there been a better collection of superstars than what we saw the Nets last year? I mean, my goodness. And he was part of the staff that helped make that work. So. I, I think it's a good fit. I, I like it's a guy I didn't think of necessarily, but after once I saw the announcement, I was like, oh, yeah, I can't argue that. That that works. I got I got no I got no complaints or qualms about that. Yeah, no, it's a fantastic hire. I believe he was the number one uh, head coach available. I feel like a head coaching nominee available out of guys that weren't like, you know, Van Gundy at this point in time. Like, if your name's not Van Gundy, this is the this is the this is the 
the other option that that's not a Van Gundy. And depending um, on who you talk to, he's better than the Van Gundy options as well, too, because those ones, you either you love them or you despise them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, yeah, I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek by, by, by bringing up the Van Gundys. I can't lie about that. Um, but in other coaching news, potentially the first female head coach could be walking the sidelines next season once the NBA starts, as Becky Hammond is a finalist for the Portland Trailblazers job. Obviously, we talked about the Blazers maybe making some offseason moves. Well, that's not going to happen until you get a coach to get that idea in. Do you think Becky Hammond has a legitimate shot at the Blazers job? Or is this kind of a, she's a finalist because she's a, we, we just need to name somebody as a finalist. Um, I think it could go either way. I, it's kind of in the same vein of like, oh, well, you get to be your first head coaching job too. You get Damian Lillard yeah. and you get Jim McCollum and you get, and you get Nurkic as well, too. I think that's a pretty good, uh, that's a good way to, if I was going to be head coach, I kind of like that as well, too. So if she, if she does get it, I think that's a fantastic job to start off as well as. And I think she could get the best out of them, too, coming from that Popovich coaching tree. So I think she's a real finalist, honestly. I don't know if they will go with her, but I think she's definitely earned the right to be in this coaching conversation in this, in this bracket as well, too. And you know, Damian Lillard, if you're the Blazers and you're smart, he, you have asked him about, and he is co-signing on, he's like, I'm down. I'm cool with it. So you have to imagine that he, if he signs off on it, there's a legitimate chance at it. Yeah, absolutely. Becky Hammond, one of the, let's not forget, one of the best ever point guards in the WNBA. Like she is historically fantastic as a point guard. And what better way to kind of bring a, a technical side of things to a, a to a, a backcourt that you already have CJ, you already have Dame, you already have a lot of what they do is outstanding. But there are times where, especially CJ is, as well, will, get kind of carried away with the with the fantastic and and pull away from the technical things that are that they're so good at when when they play a technical game in that backcourt it's a very fun Blazers team to watch because of all the other things they can bring to the table but I mean just like running pick and rolls properly you know setting up a v cut things like that getting Becky Hammond's eye on those things is an absolutely fantastic thing and and Popovich let's not forget Popovich has literally said she is more of a coach than I am at some points in times in the seasons like she is the she is the coach more than I actually end up doing any coaches coaching. So that's high praise from a guy who uh, let's just say his interaction with media should uh, scare any media member away for for the most part <laughs> from wanting you to do a Greg Popovich interview. Um, so that that's going to be very interesting to see what Becky Hammond goes. But I do hope she gets a job this season coming up because she is a fantastic prospect for a coaching staff uh, for a coaching member. And let's not forget, she's also a person who kind of led the way for WNBA players to leave the WNBA and go play elsewhere for pay reasons. She went to Russia to play because the WNBA was only paying her chump change, and she went and went made cold hard millions over in in Russia to play there. So, you know, a, a pioneer in her own right as well. But it'd be absolutely fantastic to see her with an opportunity, and not it's not even a, a token opportunity; it's a well earned well-deserved opportunity as well so she she's definitely uh she knows what she's doing so i think if she does end up going there that's a good pickup for both teams and i think the blazers will not miss a beat it wouldn't just be like you mentioned like a hire for show i think that would, that's to make them better they're not going to mess around too much as well too especially with at this point they got to imagine there's their star player damon's probably getting a little bit annoyed especially how this last playoffs ends too there was that instagram post which was like how long do i have to keep doing this more or less quote unquote so yeah. let's let see you you have to imagine like they're doing everything in their power right now to not only keep him but to get a chance to win with him yeah no doubt so that'd be there's a ticking time time clock with dame on on the clock um you want to keep him happy so what better way to bring in a coach that you think that he thinks will be successful for him too so that that could be a big deal um now moving on we are jumping into the main event because that's a perfect segue to take us into the nba playoffs and as we talked about since our last podcast, three three series have wrapped up, including a Game 7. Fantastic finish between the Nets and Bucks. Uh, I, I'm going to save that one for last, but the other two series that have wrapped up, obviously the Suns were wrapped up previously to our, 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 our previous uh, discussions, and then the Clippers and Jazz. Let's start there. That series, the way that wraps up, is that, is that how you had it expected, expected it to go? 
We joked about it when they were down 0-2. That's exactly where the Clippers want them. And this is, this would be the most typical Jazz thing after being down three. They started the three being up 3-1, then losing to the Nuggets thing last year. They were the first recipients of that before the Clippers. So it'd be fitting that the Clippers beat them after being down 0-2 for the second time. It's exactly what they did. They without Mike Conley, the offense kind of got stagnant. It was Donovan Mitchell save us. And when the Clippers were able to contain Donovan Mitchell, or at least just not let anyone else go off the jazz refused or they just were not simply capable of adjusting it was basically firing threes with reckless abandon the entire time. And on defense, they did not adjust with Rudy Gobert. They kept putting him in no man's land and the defensive player of the year was a liability. I think it was pretty cut plain and simple at that one as well. Not a good coaching job from Quinn Snyder, a fantastic coach throughout his career, but that, that series, he did not make the proper adjustments. I think as a team, they did not adjust either. Yeah, no, I think that the perfect example of that is, as you mentioned, uh, the defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert, an absolute liability. And Ivica Zubak, uh, absolutely dominating down low, is a perfect example of not, not making any changes and not making the adaptations you need to to be successful. Um, what he was able to do, what Zubak was able to do in that that matchup uh, with Gobert is just... And especially when they put Terrence Mann on him and just put Terrence Mann in the corner, Rudy's like stuck. Do I guard him in the corner? Do I stay here? What do I do? He couldn't, he couldn't, he would not close out because anytime someone got in the paint, he had to protect the paint. He, he couldn't move really. That was the problem. Even when they took out Zubak and they made him go against smaller guys, he couldn't take advantage of him on the offensive end because his post game is throw it up and I throw it down. Yeah. They, that, that small ball lineup Ty Lue brought out that was Nick Batum as a three or four and Terrence Mann as a five was very interesting. Because Rudy Gobert was he was lost. He was completely lost trying to defend out there. And it it showed. I mean, Terrence Mann puts up 39 points in game six to give the Clippers the the series win. Like Terrence Mann, a, a guy who obviously let's not forget his mom is one of the winningest coaches in, in women's ba- college women's basketball's history. But Terrence Mann is a guy who's an unsung player, I feel like, as far as the Clippers go, up until that game. I mean, is that safe to say? I don't think anyone knew who he was until he did that. So, yeah, I think that's a safe thing to say as well, too. And the case in point, they tried this against the Suns. The Suns brought in Dario Sarge in that situation and said, okay, good luck. And Dario Sarge went to work in the paint. So, the, the when it comes to that series, I hate six. I really like Quinn Snyder, and he's done a fantastic job. But that one's kind of on him, the way I look at that one. He did not adjust. He didn't coach his team to adjust. It was still Donovan Mitchell, Sayos, everyone else, Huck and Chuck threes, Rudy Gobert be giant. That Absolutely. was pretty much the, all they did, and I know it's what they've done all season, and it's worked, but you you got to find a way to tweak something. Like, Rudy Gobert, get on the block, or maybe put Derek Favors in and tell him to get on the block and not get stuck in no man's land. Like, they did not have a plan B, and it really, really showed. Ty Lue was able to break out a plan B, plan C, and a plan C and a half. Like, he had something to rattle off four in a row. Yeah, and that's what's crazy is it was he was he was ready. Because let's not forget, they were without their guy, Kawhi Leonard, in that game six with that knee injury. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we saw the we saw actual playoff P show up with his 28 points, nine rebounds, and seven assists in that more distributing role that you talked about a couple times about about what he's being asked to do. And Reggie Jackson as well in that game six, 27 points, 10 assists. I've I've kind of ragged on Reggie Jackson for not being consistent, but I he's almost made me eat crow every time I mention it in these playoffs. He's had a, a lot of really good games in this playoffs. And he's, kind of showing what he was picked for. He's been weirdly consistent, ironically, too, since you said that, too. It seems like he's guaranteed to get, if nothing else, he'll find a way to get you some buckets here and there as well, too, and hit his open shots, especially from three, where the Clippers have been fantastic on the season, beyond the arc, the best in the league. So who knows? Maybe Reggie Jackson was a key this whole time, too. Yeah, and let's not forget Pat Bev also getting quality playing time. He had 27 minutes in that game six that saw him get 12 points, four assists, and four rebounds. Patrick Beverly, who started that series in the doghouse, <laughs> and most actually the whole playoffs up until that the start of the series in the doghouse for Ty Lue, coming out of the doghouse to play some quality minutes down the stretch, uh, more so than even Rajon Rondo did. So absolutely as well too. And so far they've while they've been close games with the Suns, they do find themselves down 0-2 yet again. So we'll see if they're able to bounce back out of this one for the third time is the charm. Kawhi Leonard's still out with that knee injury. Chris Paul expected to come back for game three. So that's a fun series, and we'll be looking forward to calling each one of those games on ColorCast as well, too. So that's going to be really fun. We'll see if they can – we'll see what t- adjustments Tyloo has for the Suns because he's able to break them out being down 0-2 against the Mavs. 
break him out against the against the Jazz. We'll see if he's got anything for the Suns, though, because right now the Suns are flying high in nine playoff wins in a row since being down two to one to the Lakers. Here's a question for you. For the first two games of this conference finals for the Clippers and Suns, as you mentioned, uh, Paul George has been absolutely outstanding. He has had 60 points in the two games combined. And the question is, can he keep up that production long-term in this series, or is it going to have to require a, a colossal team effort? Because even with him putting up 60 points in those two games, they have lost by six in game one and by insane inbounds pass from Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton and losing by one point in game two. Yes and yes. He can keep it up, but I think they're going to need more than just that too. Like he can't just do that. They need more than that. They need, like he, he struggled. He had like a, he was really struggling most of the game. Then down like the last six, seven, eight minutes or so of the game. Maybe even less than maybe the last five. He had a lot of clutch baskets, got them into that game, got them a lead. And then he went full playoff, way off P and missed the free throw. So I, it's probably starting to wear on a little bit. They need to find some way to split the difference between him carrying the load and somebody else in between until Kawhi comes back. But we'll have to see what they do. I mean, he's they clearly run better when he's on the court. So there's, but as you mentioned, you can't really fully depend on him as you saw what happened as well too. It'll kind of break your heart, especially when he's being asked to do so much. And I just, I don't know what else you want him to do with that besides make those free throws. Everything else he did just fine. I mean, especially down the stretch. If you make those free throws, you don't get DeAndre Aiden at the end because you're up by three. And when he's at 89% shooter in the free from the free throw line in the playoffs, it's like, uh, like I don't want to down on him too much because he already gets clowned on enough for the playoff P comment. But he, you got to make at least one of those free throws. If you make one of them, then DeAndre Aiden just ties the game and doesn't. That's not the end of the game. Yeah. And, and here's another thing to look at. You talk about wearing him down. He is the second highest minutes person on the court for either team with a total of 80 minutes played. The only one with more, Devin Booker with 85 minutes played. Um, Which and, is insane considering he left the court for like 15 minutes after his nose got bloody in the last game. So he might even be close to 90 minutes if he didn't have his nose busted. Yeah, and, and ironically enough, uh, the total points scored by Devin Booker in those 85 minutes Oh, it just so happens to be 60. So uh, very interesting as well, considering he had a triple-double in game one. But 40-point triple-double and then a 20-point performance in game two equals the same amount of output as Paul George. Uh, I guess the bigger question is, can the Clippers do it without Kawhi Leonard? Uh, We've seen the Suns do it without Chris Paul, and now Chris Paul's coming back. Will that mess up the, the, the dynamic of the Suns? And then on the flip side, can the Clippers do it without Kawhi Leonard, or do they need him to return in this series to have a chance? I think they need Kawhi Leonard just for fourth quarter situations. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's still the leading fourth quarter. He has the most 30-point games in the playoffs still, even after missing. He has more 30-point games than anyone else. In the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, he still has technically not missed a field goal. In any game they've won in the fourth quarter, he has not missed a field goal. I rest my case. The point is they just need him to close the games more or less. That's something they do not have right now. So, yes, they do need him back if they want to pull this one off. And Chris Paul coming back, I don't think it's going to change too much. I mean – we saw Cameron Payne step in and we called him baby Chris Paul on the call, basically. Like, I think they'll Holy be fine. Chris. If anything, they might even get better because of Moose campaign to that second unit where he could be a little more hands-on as well, too. And it does, he doesn't have to have Devin Booker and DeAndre. And he's usually going with Sarge and guys like that as well. So I think they'll be fine regardless, honestly. Yeah. And, and look, shout out to campaign. What he's doing right now. Uh, here's a quote that the Chicago Bulls staff was quoted back in 2017. They Probably no longer with the staff, by the way, either, especially after saying blasphemy like that. I imagine they've let him go since then. I, I think you know the quote I'm about to drop then. Uh, straight up said, after the second practice, I knew he was no longer, he was not able to compete at the NBA level and would be out of the league by the end of the year. Now, was he totally wrong? Not necessarily. Uh, because campaign has traveled a very unique basketball career he was drafted by okc next thing you know he is in the g league version of okc and stayed there for the next season then he's in chicago then in the g league version of chicago and then he ends up in china uh at one point in time and ends up over there for a couple uh, for a season and then ends up coming back over working his way through the g league in two different g league teams before finally getting his opportunity here with phoenix this year and the biggest thing to consider is he's actually technically moved positions from point guard to shooting guard over that time as well. 
Um, so this, along with the position change, um, you see a, a different campaign. But, I mean, what he was putting on performance-wise is absolutely fantastic. A guy who finally kind of found his his niche by by being tutelaged by Chris Ball, it feels like. So. Absolutely as well, too. We saw in that last game, too, 29-9 and nine on top of it as well, too, while sharing with Devin Booker. I mean, he had to heat check himself basically to make a mistake. And yeah. weirdly enough, he shoots left-handed, but the way he gets the ball up so quickly sometimes, even when guys are coming from that side, he's able to get up very fast. And it kind of changes. You know how they say catching the ball from a left-handed quarterback is different as a receiver? I think it's kind of the same way when teams are going against the Suns' offense because I think they want campaign to go to his left is how the Suns are running it. So that everything's kind of reversed to what you study on tape as well, too. So I think that might be something that might be, I don't want to say screw with the Clippers, just another thing added on top of everything, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I got you. But moving on, though, obviously this is a fantastic series we could talk about ad nauseum in that Western Conference final with the Clippers-Suns. But we had two Game 7s as well before the the, the, the Eastern Conference finals could get underway. Uh, and we'll start with Atlanta and, and the 76ers. And that game seven ended 103-96 with the Hawks taking the lead. And it was a fantastic performance from guess who? Kevin Werter with 27 points, leading the Hawks in scoring in 40 minutes played to go along with seven rebounds, three assists. And let's not forget John Collins with his 14 and 16, 14 points, 16 rebounds, and just a quiet little night for Trey Young at 21 and 10 with three rebounds. So... That team came to play completely, and we saw kind of Kevin Huerta, almost a Kevin Huerta appreciation night, if you will, in Game 7, it felt like. The only thing that was kind of marring was the lack of Kevin Huerta-like play from Ben Simmons, who was not attempting field goals. He was passing up dunks. He was basically ineffective offensively. For a guy that I have said at nauseum, I think he was defense player of the year, honestly. But offensively, he was a liability for the 76ers, and Joel Embiid wasn't able to save him this time. Tobias Harris wasn't anywhere to be found. And his bit, Seth Curry had himself quite the series. He played fantastic, but that was pretty much all they had was Seth Curry and Joel Embiid. And that's not quite the one-two punch you need if you're the 76ers if you wanted to pull this off. No, look, they have your your your, your rookie point guard, Tyrese Maxey, played 14 minutes in a cru- crucial game seven. Your point guard, your starting point guard, Ben Simmons, only gave you 36 minutes. And... I mean, look at these. The stat line is five points. 13 assists is not bad. But when you're only giving me five points, I need that number to be 20 assists. And I need you to have double-digit rebounds at that point in time. If you're a six foot eleven point guard, I need more from you than what you gave me. But 5, 13, and 8, just not good enough for Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid gave you 31 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists. Tobias Harris gave you 24, 14, and 4. Uh, Seth Curry gave you 16, 2, and 2. I mean, really, you look at that big hole there, and that's Ben Simmons. And it's really his free throw shooting, too. I mean, the man needs to develop a jump shot, and the man needs to develop a free throw shot. Because both of them went AWOL, and I don't know when the next time we're going to see him. It's I don't understand how he's almost the exact same player he is when he came into the league, honestly, a few years, a few years ago. He's almost the exact same player, it feels like. Feels like nothing has really changed. Like, and you can't have that when you have that much talent as well. Too, you're drafted number one overall. You can't be the same player you were as a rookie four years into your career as well. Too, almost to a T. Same issues, same skill set, same just about everything. Yeah, really. I mean, you're exactly right. It's it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's it's almost possible to say he got worse since he entered the league. Uh, in in some some facets of his game. Here's a big question for you though. Ben Simmons, obviously. We all see the talent that's there, but there's some people out there that are considering him to still be an elite level player despite all the negatives. Can he be an elite level player or is he an elite level player right now? And if he can be an elite level player, what is the immediate steps he needs to take this offseason to become that? Honestly, he's just short of being elite in my eyes. Like he's all-star caliber, but he's just short of being elite because of the things he does do well defends four positions comfortably, sometimes five, depending on who the center is. He could guard a lot of centers. He could, in transition, one of the better transition players in the game, that his ability to run the show and the transition, the passing vision he has is sensational. It's among the best. His ability to get rebounds as a point guard is oftentimes is still pretty good. But the question is, all he needs to do is make free throws at about a 68 to 75% clip so they can't just foul you every single play. 
And yet he has to develop some sort of, I'm not even saying an outside three-point shot, just get a mid-range shot. So if they sag off you into the paint, you could just pull it from the free throw line and shoot it. That's pretty much all you got to do. The same thing we you could say about Giannis, you could say about Ben Simmons just a little more dramatically because considering Giannis will shoot the ball in abundance. That's not an issue with him. <laughs> yeah, and Rob, I think you almost want Giannis to stop shooting sometimes. And some of the shots he takes, you're like, oh, okay, maybe not that one. Where Ben Simmons like, you know what? I will let you take that one because at least shows you are shooting the ball. Here's another question. Do you think he's a Philadelphia 76er at the start of the season next year? He might just be because stubbornness at this point too, with the whole trust the process and everything. But like, I think they could both use a change of scenery. I think he would do better somewhere else. And I think 76ers, they could get someone who's maybe not as good, but a little bit better of a fit with Joel Embiid, Seth Curry, Tobias Harris in the squad. I think that'd be better as well too. Just, I mean, there was talks about them looking for James Harden. That fit would have been perfect, but they weren't going to give up Ben Simmons. I think hindsight being 2020, that might have been might have been a better move. I think James Harden with Joel Embiid, my goodness, that could have been something special. Yeah. So I think if they could just find a second scoring option at point guard, like if someone who could stretch the court as well as facilitate, doesn't have to be someone as dangerous driving like he is, but just somebody who could spread the court for Joel Embiid so he could spend all of his time on the block where he should be pretty much all the time with how good he is down low. He should never be shooting threes, honestly. Yeah, it should be very rare that he has to step out and shoot a three. Uh, but you know what? He's turned had to turn it into part of his game to make room for Ben Simmons attacking the paint. So that is a consideration to the Ben Simmons factor. Um, but I'm with you. I also don't feel like he'll be – I feel like he probably won't be, actually. So I'm opposite of you. I feel like he actually won't be a sixer um, at the start of next season. I don't know where he's going to go, though. It's my only issue. I, I just keep looking at him like – there's no real team that needs a slasher only point guard who's afraid to to dunk the ball, um, and that's that's what scares me. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that goes. But the other game seven, I, I I I almost don't have words for the other game seven. That's how insane this was. An absolute stellar performance from possibly the greatest player in the world in KD, and it's because of his size seventeen shoe that the Nets didn't pull out the victory. How crazy is that? The, 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 the greatest player in the world. shoe smaller, they are playing tonight instead of the instead of the Bucks against the Hawks. Yeah, the greatest player in the world is is literally shut down by a size 17 shoe, not being a size 16 or 15 and a half, if you will, as his toes were on the line for the game-winning shot that was turned into a not-game-winning shot. And so that sent it into overtime and... The Bucks in overtime end up winning 115-111. Now, hindsight being what it is, we, we now know uh, the performance the Bucks put on in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. But if you look back at this semifinals matchup, I mean, Giannis gave you 40. Brooke Lopez gave you 19. Middleton gave you 23. Drew Holiday gave you 13. You're looking at that and you're like, Wow. We're going into the next round against the Hawks, and this is my offense right now is just Giannis having to put up 40 and everybody else struggling to get to 15 to 20. This is not going to be promising, right? Like, were, if, if you're the Bucks, were you worried going into this uh, Eastern Conference Finals that you maybe didn't have enough firepower? I don't think so. You just took down the Nets. I mean, I think you feel pretty decent. That was just kind of the way the game lined up. I felt like maybe going against the Hawks, like, oh, yeah, we're fine. We can – Maybe they even underestimated the Hawks a little bit coming to that first one because the Nets were clearly the biggest bugaboo for everybody. That was the boogeyman for the Eastern Conference. Nobody wants to deal with that absolutely insane firepower they have. But they got through, and they probably go, like, oh, we'll get through the Hawks. They'd expect Trey Young to go off for 1,000, but it's – so I don't know. I think they were – I don't think they were too worried. I think they do have the firepower. It was – they had a lot of guys not show up in game one compared to against the Nets series. I mean – the one change was Drew Holiday actually brought out his best game compared to against the Nets where he struggled a bit. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm the Nets, I'm or if I'm the Bucks, I'm not too worried, honestly. I'd like to get, get game one, but Trey Young's not going to give you 50 on that kind of shooting every single game. So I think you take I think you take it with a grain of salt if you're them. Yeah, definitely. And now looking back at the Nets as well, though, Kevin Durant, 48, or 48 points in 53 minutes to go along with nine boards and six assists. Uh, James Harden gave you 22, 9, and 9 in 53 minutes. But you've kind of talked about that. You touched on this in the color cast we did. If James Harden was 5 to 10% more healthy, are we looking at – would we have been looking at the Nets playing in this series? Oh, probably. I mean, it's pretty safe to say as well, too. Maybe Kevin doesn't give you quite as much, but I'm sure James Harden could slide in and give you the rest of it. 
But at the same time, we don't know necessarily. But I think it's pretty safe to say, considering he was out there, he wasn't quite the same. He still had the ability to kind of shoot, but he wasn't able to get quite as much space with like his 17-yard step back. He wasn't quite able to dribble drive as much. So most likely, yeah. I mean, I won't say for certain, but all signs point to it. I would imagine adding a more healthy James Harden is, can't be it can't be a detriment at that point, honestly. No, that's a very good point. Uh, but as you mentioned, they they have had game one of the conference finals. It did finish 116-113 with the Hawks taking the 1-0 series lead. And Trey Young, I, I mean, there's no better. I, I you, We talked about it on the color cast we did. Uh, that might be the most efficient Trey Young we've ever seen play basketball game. Like That might be the best game he's ever played. I think it is the best game he's I've ever seen him play, even going back to Oklahoma. I've never seen him that much in control, that ability to score from anywhere getting his teammates involved. I, that was the best game I've seen him play. And one of the better point guarded games I've seen probably this playoff run. Yeah, and that's that's actually a really good point because it wasn't just one side of the point guard uh, coin that was really doing well. It was both sides, but we'll talk about Trey Young right now. 48 points, 11 assists, and 7 rebounds on 41 minutes on the court. Uh, fantastic performance. John Collins, though, kicking in 23 points and 15 rebounds, not to be outshined. Uh, and Huerta with 13, and Capella with 12, and 19 rebounds. At this point in time, you can almost expect a 20 and 10 night or somewhere close to it from Capella every night, but it's going to be 20 boards and and 10 points every single time. Uh, so very interesting to see. And then on the flip side, the opposite point guard in Drew Holiday, absolutely giving you all the buckets that he could possibly manage. 33 points, 10 assists and four rebounds to go along with Giannis getting 34, nine or 34 at nine and 12, nine assists, 12 rebounds. But it wasn't enough because of Trey young at the end of the day. But like, if you're the, if you're the bucks, do you still kind of feel good about this? Even though you lost because you actually had more guys performing offensively, like you got a drew holiday performance. Or do you think this is like crap? We got a drew holiday performance and we wasted it. Yes. And yes. Like at the same time, you feel great because it took Trey young doing all that for you to lose, lose by three. But you finally got Drew Holiday rolling. You weren't still able to quite pull it away. Drew Holiday defensively, not quite what he was a couple years ago. Still fantastic, but not quite, not the lockdown point guard he used to be when we saw that tonight. Even he was struggling a little bit of Trey Young when he was on him. I think Boonholzer is trying to adjust with the pick and roll with Clint Capella and Trey Young because Trey Young was either floater or throw it out to Clint Capella. Brooke Lopez is getting stuck. They move Giannis the center. It had its perks and it worked and they got it going, but it still wasn't it might have been a little bit too late, honestly. And so they got, they're working on that as well. We'll see what they do to adjust in game two. And I think Giannis did his thing. We saw him actually do pretty well from the free throw line. He still struggles finishing with his left hand because every time he gets the ball, he finishes with his right. And Chris Milton was honestly pretty terrible for a lot of the game too. He had his moments where he looked like Chris Milton, but he had, he was really rough. I mean, four for 15 or something along those lines from the field. That's not going to get it done. If you're, you need him to, as great as Drew Holiday's 30 is, you would almost need a Chris Milton 25 more than a Drew Holiday 30 because of the way the offense runs. If you get both of those, Chris Milton's 25 and Drew Holiday's 30, and Giannis, if he's going to do this every night, those three all get clicking at the same time. Good luck, everybody else. But they haven't really done that this entire playoff run. So we'll have to see. I think it shows, though, Chris Milton getting buckets is a little more important. And then Drew Holiday just kind of point guarding the show, more or less. He doesn't have to score him scoring 30 isn't quite as, as important as Chris Milton scoring 25, even though that seems kind of weird to say just the way the team operates. Yeah, no, that's a very good, very interesting point to look at. Um, now here's a question for you. Obviously this is going to be a very, this was a very fun game to, to talk about in the color cast. It was very energetic, both sides of it. Is this a pace both teams can keep up for however long the series goes? And if so, how long do you think the series actually goes? I feel like it's going to be a seven game series regardless, honestly. I don't know if they're going to be able to have quite that fast up and down action they did in this first game. I think it's going to slow down a little bit as we go along. Maybe even game two, we see it slow way down just because I think they try and take it. When you get Giannis in transition, good luck. Good luck finding someone to stop that man in transition, really. And the Hawks, when you get going in transition, all those snipers and Trey Young's ability to pass it, John Collins and Clint Capella skying up for alley-oops. Like Both teams thrive in transition, so I think sometimes they push the action a little bit too much. And Honestly, that means the faster their offense is, the more offensive opportunities they're going to get in the game. So I think that what they kind of exemplified that game one. Game one, I feel like is going to be the anomaly compared to the rest of the series. It's definitely going to slow down quite a bit because humans cannot do that for that many times if it's going to go seven games. Like that's just someone's going to lose a leg. Yeah, it's going to. It would be. It would become a a, a point of you. You have to start managing your guys' minutes 
uh, in games two and three, preparing for a seven game series at that pace for sure. Um, so it'd be something to, to watch for sure. I'd like the idea of it going seven. I personally think it's going to go six is, is what I was talking about on the color cast. Um, I, I just, for some reason, I don't see it going seven. It just doesn't. And then again, I, I've been wrong before. So what do I know? Um, but so, yeah, that's, that's my two cents on this series. Uh, what about the, for you, the Suns and Clippers? Do you think, what do you think? Gentlemen sweep, sweep, uh, seven game series. Where do you think that one ends up, uh, ends up at? Well, if this is Twitter, I guess I'd have to say Suns and four. I feel like that'd be mandatory at this point based on the last couple weeks. But I think the Clippers are going to bounce back. They're going to make it a competitive series. I still think, if I had to guess, I'd say the Suns still take it in six. I think the Clippers could win game three and game five. But I don't, I, the Suns going up 2-0 without Chris Paul. Kawhi Leonard's still questionable he's going to come back. And if he comes back, I feel like his injury is going to hold him back more than Chris Paul being out for health and safety protocols. It's going to hurt him from coming back, if that makes sense. So, it just feels like it's not going to – I feel like the third time is not the charm for the Clippers being down 0-2. Kind of like how the, when the Nuggets were down 3-1 for the third time against the Lakers last year. It's like, yeah, but this one feels different. I don't. This one doesn't feel like they could come back. This one, I just – I don't know if the Clippers are going to come out 0-2. I know it's been close. Both those games, they really easily could have won. They could make a case they could be up 2-0 very closely. A few plays here or there, but I just – it's tough. I'm not going to count them out. We have learned do not count the Clippers out down 0-2, but it's a lot more difficult. I think this is a – the path of most resistance is a lot more resistant than they're used to. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but, but for me, I look at Chris Paul coming back. This is going to just turn the head, turn it completely on its head. And, and I don't think we're going to see a close game for the rest of this one. Um, but I do think the Clippers are going to pull out one of these two games at home um, just because that's seems to be how it works. But I do think it's going to be a gentleman sweep back in Phoenix um, at game five. Give me the, give me the five game series. Uh, just because I, I feel this Suns team, just there's something about storylines in the NBA that always seemed to pan out and this Chris Paul going to the finals and winning uh, or, or even just showing up in the finals for the first time in his career and potentially winning with Devin Booker by his side. It seems like a big storyline for the NBA and to do so by taking out your former team. Uh, that seems to be a, uh, a big, big storyline that the NBA would love to have in the finals, if you will. Absolutely as well too. And not to mention as well, it's like last year they talked about LeBron's ring, LeBron and the Lakers rings. Like, oh, it's the COVID ring. This is kind of like the second half of that as well, too. Like the COVID situation carrying into the season a lot as well, too. How many games do we have canceled? It seemed like a whole bunch when there's a lot of issues throughout the season. It's worn down a little bit now, obviously, but it'd be kind of ironic to see like LeBron there talking about his. And then Chris Paul finally gets his on the back half of that as well, too. As they're also two best friends as well, too. So kind of interesting how linear that could be. And both of those a year after Dwayne Wade retires. So. The banana boats all making up, making some waves in these last four years. Yeah, Carmelo just needs to find his way onto a title-winning team, and then he might get himself one as well and, and complete the banana. This is coming up next year. His will be next year, so it's around. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. Becky Hammond led Blazers for the title next year. DJ stamps of approval. I'm <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that one. The way too early predictions after the season. Uh, but that leads us into crunch time presented by Doctor Squatch. Uh, when it comes to crunch time, you obviously think about pressure. And if you don't know, pressure leads to sweat. Sweat leads to smelling awful. Well, Dr. Squash has you covered with their entire line of products, from the shampoos to the deodorants. Fantastic smells, all of them. And they're natural, so they don't leave weird stains and make your body feel all weird and, and gross. So go check it out, guys. That's the easiest way I can say it. Uh, smell, like a, smell like a champion. Feel like a man. Dr. Squatch is the way to go. Link is in our bio. And the link is in our link tree. So uh, go check that out and get your brand new deodorant ready for the summer months. But DJ, I hear you, uh, you have a comparison about Trey Young and then you want to, you want to get it off your chest here. So we talked a lot about this. We've done a lot of comparing players. Like everyone's like, Oh, Luca's an ex LeBron. And so we talked a little about this when we talked with Joe Mashal on the color cast. And I've been kind of thinking about as well, comparing a lot of these new young stars to players from like the two thousands and beyond as well too. So, so hypothetically say Luca's kind of like a next LeBron Devin Booker kind of in the same mold as Kobe along those lines Donovan Mitchell kind of along Dwayne Wade Jason Tatum kind of along uh, Carmelo Anthony guys like that as well too I think we kind of agreed in on that regard like those guys are all kind of in that same their games clearly mimic those guys to say the least if you can say or their games very much resemble that for Trey Young everyone said he's the next Steph Curry he's Damian Lillard something like that coming out because he's a he was bombs away at Oklahoma he's not Steph Curry He's not bombs away from three. Honestly, when he's not shooting threes is when he's at his best. When he, when he adds them into his game, when he's feeling it's nice, 
but everyone wants it to be Trey for Trey. Yay. Like it seems so perfect, but that's not when he's at his best. When he's at his best is when he's mimicking Tony Parker, the ability to come off those screen and rolls, the floaters in the lane, the absolute speed, the second gear he has that my goodness, he's sometimes when he takes off the ability to throw up the lobs to the big guy. Like we'd see Tony Parker come off the screen and roll with Tim Duncan. So Tim Duncan, they guard the floater. He bounces into Tim Duncan, puts the really slow-mo. It's not quite as, it's a little more flashy when Clint Capella just rises up and throws it down. Same with John Collins. But the result is still the same of pick and roll. If you give him space, the padded floater that Tony Parker made famous, the mid-range pull-up that those are those two both mastered at. And if you give them a little bit of a lane, they are a blur to the basket. And then on top of that, this with Clint Capella, Tim Duncan, all those guys, the ability to finish in the paint. Not to mention Tony Parker, an absolute playoff performer. I mean, he has an NBA Finals MVP, but like what, two or three all-star appearances? Not a whole lot of all-star appearances, but fantastic in the playoffs all the time. Trey Young, his first chance in the playoffs, he's averaging 30 and 10. And it's probably going to go up to more than 30 after this 48-point performance. It's probably going to be like 34 and 10. So it's sensational. A guy who got snubbed, we talked about getting snubbed from the all-star team as well this year. I think he, as much as fun as it is to say, ice tray for Trey, yay, the next Steph Curry, 35 points, 13 of 30, 13 of 15 from three or whatever. He's That's not his game. He's not Steph. He's not Damian Lillard, who are guys like that. When he shoots from three, he honestly gets himself in trouble a little more often than not. When he shoots five to six threes a game, he's at his best because he makes three to four of them, like we saw in this game where he dropped 48. He did not shoot as often. I think he had 10 three-pointers, got a little bit hot because he was the offense, so he started shooting a little bit more. A few of them were reckless heat checks, but he still shot about 40%. But where he did all his work, that mid-range floater right over the top of Brooke Lopez, right over the top of, not as much over Giannis, because once they put in Giannis, they started throwing the alley-oops because Giannis was coming out and switching on him. And their games are just so similar to me. They, especially the floater, they look identical. And then when you give them an edge, they're both absolutely speed demons to the basket and able to finish around the bucket. So Trey Young is not Steph Curry 2.0. He's not Dame Lillard 2.0. He's a 2020 version of Tony Parker with a little bit of pizzazz to it, if you will, because Tony Parker had to develop that jump shot where Trey Young's always had that. He's just developing shot selection, if you will. So I I compare him to Tony Parker when they're both at their absolute best, like playoff Tony Parker and we might say playoff Trey at this point too, the way he's performing right now. My goodness. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a very interesting comparison. I, I like it. I never really compared that. I would have never put two and two together there. Uh, you know, that's that's actually a really interesting one. Maybe even add Manu's three-point sh- shooting into Tony Parker and you, you have a complete Spurs player for Trey Young. That'd be a interesting conversation. If he starts banking in shots, I'm just going to call him the Spurs big three rolled up into one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, that's a very interesting one. Um, for me, though, crunch time, I'm going to head over to the pitch, the soccer pitch again for, for my crunch time. And I'm going to keep this Denmark storyline going because they're keeping going. Uh, Denmark doing something that's never happened in the Euros. The first team to lose its first two matches in the group stages. Then to rattle off a victory in a, by the way, 4-1 fashion over Russia, who was looking to advance at that point in time. Uh, However, they ended up not advancing. And Denmark taking their place to advance after that 4-1 drumming. And this is all happening on the back of, in the game one matchup against Finland, Christian Eriksen, and having to be resuscitated on the field after cardiac arrest. So Denmark absolutely breaking all of the molds and continuing to fight a battle uh, that is not just a, a battle on the field, it is a mental battle that they're fighting with each other is right now as well. Uh, just to keep their head up at this point in time, because there's been a whole lot happening to them, and they keep fighting through it, and it's it's a it's a great story of perse- perseverance and and what hard work and and belief can do for you and, and on on any day, any given sports game, uh, any given sports day. There's a reason why we play the game. Anything is possible. So they will take on Wells in these in the round of 16, uh, Saturday, June 26, and that'll be a very interesting match to follow because that'll be high in emotions, but. Most importantly, Denmark made it to the knockout stages after having the complete deck stacked against you. Um, and it'll be a great opportunity to see what they can do uh, for Absolutely. sure. I mean, we've talked a lot about teams basically fighting against all odds right now, too, and how they've been doing it. What a fantastic run that has been for them as well, too. I'd love to see what they could do moving forward. Imagine if they manage to continue to push through and just keep advancing, keep advancing. Like, maybe we should have bet on them a little while ago. Maybe we might be a little bit late, too, but maybe – 
maybe it's still a chance to reap a little bit of the benefits. Last I checked, there's still plus 4,000 odds. So uh, Never mind, good. we're good. We still got a chance. Yeah, you, you got plenty of time. It might even be be worse now because they're going up against Wells. We'll see. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. But, yeah, I know that would be an interesting story to follow for sure. And, and, and stay tuned to our Twitter because I'll be uh, live tweeting that one uh, on Saturday because I'll be watching that one pretty much staying glued to my TV uh, on Saturday morning for that game. So that'll be one to watch for sure. But that wraps it up for us today, guys. Uh, DJ, any final words? Ben, thank you guys for tuning in. Always appreciate you guys listening. Keep checking in on ColorCast on our Twitter as well, too. And those of you with iPhones, I could check ColorCast. We are in the midst of a ColorCast NBA playoff competition as well, too. So can use all the support we can as well, too. We enjoy calling the games. And the comment section can start to heat up sometimes, too. These last few games, we've had to break out the fire extinguisher a few times, too. So always feel free to tune in. We appreciate you guys always listening, whether it's here, ColorCast, YouTube, whatever medium you enjoy tuning into us, we greatly appreciate it. And we always love to hear from you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. If you guys need to get a hold of us for any reason, reach out to us on our Twitter page or our Instagram page at high underscore low underscore sports on Twitter and at high low sports on Instagram, or you can reach out to us on our YouTube. We'll be sure to answer those ones as well. Um, so be sure to check those out, or you can reach out to us on our website, high low sports There is a contact us section in there that you can send us any messages you guys want to. And who knows, maybe we'll read some of the messages on it uh, in, in the episode and, and you get a shout out or something like that. Um, be sure to check that out. But that does it for us today, guys. And until next time, we will see you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Buy four tires and get up to $200 in savings after rebate at Bell Tire's year-end sale. Or get even more in Bell Tire gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Plus, get tires as low as $49 after rebate. Get up to $200 in savings. Or get even more in gift cards, December 26th through January 7th. Get up to $200 in savings and choose the lowest tire price, period, at Bell Tire. 100 years of getting folks safely back on the road fast and affordably. See store for details. Restrictions apply. Now open in Montgomery.